Hi, I'm Doug Plout, and you're listening to Who Doesn't Love Lucy, a podcast celebrating the multi-camera sitcom. You're about to hear a theme song by Nick Searley and Lauren Molina, a group together known as the Skivvies, because they sing songs in their underwear. And let me tell you, their hearts are as warm and open as their bodies are t- Wait, I can't say that. Hey you, who doesn't love Lucy? It's true, you're gonna see, you'll see. Hi, I'm Doug Plout, and my guest today has been everywhere. She's been seen on Broadway. She's been seen in feature films. She has been seen in multi-camera television. And she even has been seen at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Clearly, I am talking about Meryl Streep. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm talking about April Ortiz. Hi, April. Hi, Doug. How are you today? So the breadth of your work is just it's extraordinary. So I just want to just just dive right in with first, where'd you grow up and what was your first path to employment in Le Show Business? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, Hollywood to be exact. I went to Hollywood High. Rock on. And I thought immediately that people would be very respectful of me because I went to Hollywood High when I got into the business, which was not always true. And I started out, I think I, I would say my first job really was commercials. I did some commercials. I got a commercial agent and I started with commercials and got the goofy composite that you get when it's 1980, la, 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 or 70, la, 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 la. And then I started working in sitcoms. I did a little theater. I decided to become a dancer in my 20s before I had done I saw you did Lacage. Yeah, I did Lacage and I did Cats. And my goal was, I started very late. I started when I was about 20. And my goal was to be in a really hard dancing show that was full-on dancing. And I did And you started at 20. I started at 20. 19, no, it was my 20th birthday and a couple of friends, we had seen Chorus Line. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I have to be a dancer now. That's it. I, saw, I thought I was Cassie all my 19 years of me. Uh, and then because I had a short haircut, <laughs> just an idiot. Yeah. So I went to the audition is what happened and without any dance training. And when I was summarily called out to do more and more pirouettes thinking that I was doing it right, which I wasn't, <laughs> of course, because how can you do a double ballet pirouette when you have no training? I walked out of there and I thought, yes, but he called me out of the line, so he must have thought I could be Cassie, so I'm going to start taking dance lessons. And my two best friends from high school gave me, as a birthday present, they were at that time $4.50 a class. Hello. And I went and I started to dance and I... EDC, price match. And I became a dancer, and then I missed talking. Yeah. I missed I, I missed talking. I mean, I could sing and, and whatnot, but I missed talking, so I went back into the fray and did some 
and did some television, as you know, in the 80s and so 90s. And what was your first television appearance? Well, I got fired from my first one, not that one that I, oh, <laughs> I just okay. told you about. We, but, we had a little yeah, conversation yes. off mic, <laughs> and we, we'll see how that goes. We'll, we'll see, see how, how that, that goes. goes. But the first one was I was in Cats at the time, and a friend of mine's sister was the casting director for something that Jack Klugman was on with... The guy from the thing with the family people. I don't know. I, I forget uh, that. It was called, I want to say it was called Hello, Larry, but I think I'm yeah. lying about that. Was this Jack Klugman before he, because I know for the last part of his career, he couldn't speak. He couldn't right. Speak. He could st- It was just bad. It was, oh. his voice was bad, but he was still doing it. Yeah. I don't think it was Hello, Larry. I think McLean Stevenson was on that. It oh, was this. My heart I know. Now. I love McLean Stevenson. So I got the part. I went and auditioned. I got the part. Yeah. And Jack Klugman did not like me. And I can tell you there was probably a good reason. I had been so used to using my hands as paws. We were schooled not to ever separate our hands. And I think I spoke with my hands in paw. Like, And I think that I was just so – and I was, of course, terrified. Uh. And so I got got paid, but I got fired from that show – And then my very first time that I was on television, I was the series regular on Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Oh, well, okay. There are so many things about this particular, the little clip you sent me. You guys, I had maybe been tangentially aware of this before I started researching April, but there was, of the hit film Down and Out Beverly Hills with Bette Midler and Richard Dreyfuss. Yes. And, and Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. And there was a one the season sitcom on it. Was yeah, Elizabeth was Pena? Se- Elizabeth Pena, yeah. Yes. And you got to do this with Anita Morris. And playing Dave Whiteman, the... Jewish family was Anita Morris, who's from the South, uh, and, and Anita, anything yes. but Jewish. And Hector Elizondo played the father, played the, the Dreyfus uh, part. And then the kid from the actual show, Evan Richards was his name, yes. the kid from the, the show. And then the daughter was played by Rick Nelson's daughter. Who was the showrunner? And the showrunner was, it was a rough time. And I'll tell yeah. you why, because Touchstone Television was kind of new. And we shot on the Disney lot, but we were shown... Disney didn't have a channel then, which now they have ABC, but I believe they still have ABC. But we were on Fox, and there were two shows that began the Fox network. There was no Fox network in 1987. And we began the Fox network. It was Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Married with Children. Of course, I was on Down and Out, not Married with Children. Oh, the luck of the draw. Luck of the draw, draw. baby. And luck of the Mexican, because I was <laughs> I was playing the housekeeper in the show, and I was ethnically ambiguous. Uh, well, not ambiguous, but I call myself a Disney Mexican because yes. that I don't really I don't really present look particularly Mexican. How tall I am and my, yeah. my features or whatever. What people would think eyes of? And what, yeah. yeah, what people think of. But yeah. Disney liked me for that. And I was also taller than everybody in the show at the time. Which <laughs> it is... really was. So I had to wear flats and Anita insisted on wearing heels. And she was fantastic. I loved her. She was fantastic. Uh, well, really she great. is she is one of those people I feel like in show business, especially in New York and with oh, musical theater and all those people. Everyone is always like, you know, Guido, you know, all that stuff. She was a doll. She told me stories about nine. She said yeah. there was a night, three men had heart attacks during her number yeah. in the run. 
And she told me that at one night, they stood up and were clapping so loud after her number. And some guy from the audience screamed, one more time. And Raul Julia said, which, as we know, is not done on Broadway. He looked down at the conductor and said, well, you heard him. One more time, and she had to dance that number again, and she said uh, she was exhausted. But well, that's that got to feel some good. Contortionist stuff, yeah, yeah. She's but, heaven. Uh, She's well, that's a the best. Very honestly, sweet person, and I'm very sad that she passed away. I know well, the best part of show business in general to me. My favorite part of it is the passed down stories, the stories that you aren't even there for, but you just hear right. from the people you're oh, there she, with. She it's was she, she was my touchstone on that show. She was very very sweet. Yeah. Now, I am curious because I looked and I looked. There's no full episodes, even on YouTube or on any, No, there's not. Be- it was before It was before the internet, dear. No, but yeah, sometimes well, someone, sometimes there, someone right? who's like, you know, in an attic or a basement somewhere has them on a VHS right. and will upload I them. I had them all. Yeah. I had some of them on three-quarter inch tape, which is better to transfer. Yeah. And my car was stolen in Los Angeles when I was going to get my tape done. Yeah. I was going to meld everything together and get a demo reel done in the 90s. And I had them all in my trunk from having done that. And my car was stolen. And they took them and they just, they ripped them apart or or got rid of them or whatever. But they were gone. For uh, and I was like, oh, no. Well, I'm so curious just about, because I didn't get to see it, the writing on it. Was there a lot of, like, white-centered writing that was maybe a little bit... Not P. Not it would have been. It, not, it yeah. wouldn't be PC today. Yes, w- I think there was some of it. But I have to say, <laughs> Howard Gewurz was our executive producer. He was our showrunner. Yeah. No, oh yeah. So I guess he was our showrunner. So they they didn't really change. Our directors changed, and so the style of the show was never like yeah exactly the same. And they homogenized it a lot. Yeah. In the movie. The bum was screwing everybody. Yeah. And the daughter, the wife, the maid, everybody. Yeah. And in this show, the pilot episode was all about them sort of scrubbing all of that away and saying, it's never going to happen again. My line was, you remember this? And I give him a big kiss. And I say, never going to happen again. Yeah. And so they wanted to make it the kind of television that was going on in 1987. Yeah. They were very kind to me. Sometimes they would let me make up my own lines. Yeah. They would come down. If if the 4 o'clock show didn't go well or whatever, a writer might come out of the booth and say, what would Carmen say here? Yeah. I'd be like, I don't know. Alligator slingback pumps? Yeah. That's on the tape, and that was my line that I said. And he goes, say that. Like, they let me do things. They were very, very nice, and I loved working with the dog. That dog was the most talented dog that, that was has your, ever been on the planet. In what you sent me, there was there were some great sight gags with the dog. And oh, every, my God. Oh, yeah, it was great. Just amazing. And it was a great experience for me to at least start with Yeah, going into television. And, yeah, it, it was a rough time for me in television because no one would see me for anything but a Latin female. At that time, that meant you were the housekeeper or you were a whore, and that was it. That's all you're going to get. And I wasn't, I was sort of an innocent. When I read all those hashtag me too stories, I was like, well, so what? So what? I kept saying, so what? I, I, you know, I know, I know. And then I started reading them, really reading them and thinking, 
Yeah, that really is gross. I mean, we really did have to dodge a lot of stuff. It's so interesting, the experiences, particularly that women, and I can only imagine with ethnic women, had to just sort of internalize. And then when they, you know, if they saw it happening to someone else, they'd be like, that's horrible. But when right. it's, you But know, when it's you, you just sort of like, you got to edge around it. I was never in a You don't have to like, now. Hopefully now you, Yeah, now you don't have to. Now you can just call yeah. somebody out. Like somebody did in a club the other night. I just saw on on the news or something like that. They called out Weinstein on a show. Oh yeah, he was watching a show, right? I mean, I never ran into him. Yeah. I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't really well, do movies except for Father of the Bride. Oh, um, I mean, I've done some. I've done some movies since, but at that time, I was purely a television actress and really mostly sitcom. I I rarely did episodics. I did a couple of movies of the week were a thing. Yeah. You know, that wasn't Lifetime. It was CBS had a movie of the week. ABC had a movie of the week. And NBC had a movie of the week. Yeah. And I did one on each network. Yeah. And... They were like Lifetime. Yeah. Movies. You know, they were like, they were the cut. Listen to the titles of my movies of the week. Oh, of course. Okay. The first remember. one was called My Husband is Going to Kill Me. The second one was called Locked Up, A Mother's Rage. It was first called They're Doing My Time because we were in prison and it was about mothers who are in prison and they have to visit their kids and isn't that tragic and all that kind of stuff. Or the kids come to visit and it breaks their heart. Yeah. And then the other, that was starring Cheryl Ladd and the new, the very new Angela Bassett. And we've been friends ever since. She's the most fabulous person on the earth. Except for you, of course, my darling. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one was called because Valerie Bertinelli was always losing her kid in Manhattan, right? She was always bringing her kid and losing it. Yeah. But this was another where she had a latchkey kid, and it was called Taken Away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there were so many. I mean, I, I got my equity card doing The Lion in Winter with Mariette Hartley. Oh, my God. In Los Angeles. That's and, awesome. And she had a number of – I think she was Emmy-nominated for – she played the Candy Buckley story, which is the mother's – not Candy Buckley, but something but – Candy Buckley's an actress. Buckley, mother's Against Driving. Mother's Against Driving, yeah. that thing. And I remember seeing it, and it was a – and she would just – Oh, you would you would really get to use your like broadest instincts, it yeah. seemed. Yeah. And that that's of course now a culture that doesn't really exist anymore. But I wanna go back mm-hmm. because you when we were talking about you when you mentioned Father to the Bride, mm-hmm. I think that that well, I will say personally for me, I'm a classicist. Like when people remake things, I'm like, Oh, but the originals. Yeah, but I like, will say this. But I will say this. It's one of two films that I actually prefer to the original. I like Scorsese's Cape Fear more than the original Cape Fear. Oh, okay. And I like I yeah. the Father of the Fear Bride was remake. Frightening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that Father of the Bride remake that you got to be, and that was a big, big it budget was a film. Huge movie. And I got to tell you, I did not. The my first take was ridiculous. It yeah. was. It was. He did 35 takes of me saying, George, line four. And I was like, what is this guy doing? I'm telling you what. You see that movie then? You're like, oh, this guy really knows what he's doing. I thought the film was beautifully shot. Nancy Meyer. Nancy Meyer and Charles Shire were together at that time. Yeah. And they were incredible. And I just have have to tell you this teeny little story. Please. Oh, my God. I think this is... It was in the first one. So we're in Pasadena shooting at this factory that they've built, and the factory has a loft. Yeah. And it's in a brick building because at that time it was like 
30-something. They were doing things in, in their office was in a brick building. And it, it was very in style to have to have an office be or a place of work be in sort of an open atmosphere. Yeah. Right. Not cubicles or anything like that. So we're in this brick building and we're, we, you look down and there's all these extras and uh, atmosphere doing their work in the tennis shoe factory. And upstairs is George's office. So it's six o'clock in the morning. And for some reason, the, the stand-ins aren't there and we're doing our own stand-in. So Steve Martin is standing across from me and I'm standing sort of near the staircase and Charles Shire and Nancy Myers are partners and they have two kids and the kids are sitting by the stairway. Well, in Pasadena, if you're from California, you know about earthquakes and I'm from California and I think Steve must be from someplace that has earthquakes because we both did the same thing. The building started to shake and because we were in a loft, a wooden loft in a brick building is the worst place to be in an earthquake. Yeah. But you never know in California if it's just going to be a little shaker. Yeah. So it starts to shake, and both Steve and I stand in second position. We, we like, brace yeah. ourselves because that's what you do to find out if it's going to, you know, to wait it out. Yeah. The first AD hauled past me, pushed me aside, leapt over the kids, down the stairs. I swear in six seconds flat, he was out on the street. Oh, my God. So then Charles Shire says, all right, everybody, women and kids first. And we because Nancy was up there, too. And we, we all go down the stairs. Right. And I walked I walked over to the first AD who's standing like terrified looking on the sidewalk. And I said, New Yorker. And he goes, yeah, how'd you know? I said, I don't know. It was maybe the women and children that you left over to get out of the building <laughs> because it, it just it frightens people so much. Yeah. I remember thinking when I, I used to work over a place that had um, the subway ran underneath it and it yeah. would shake a little. And I always thought it was an earthquake. I would always brace for an earthquake uh, because I just thought that was kind of hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, it was it was a very fun film to do. So the, and so that was 91. And then you got asked, asked back for I the got sequel. Asked back. They made me audition. What? For, they made me audition for the sequel. And I was like, well, who are you going to use? Well, that's a, it's already established. It's already established. That's the person. I'm Olivia. So they told me that. And I was like, okay. But I was here. The reason is because they just wanted to take a look at me. They want to make sure I didn't pierce my nose or my eyebrow or something or have orange hair. So I went in to see Todd Thaler yeah. here. And he starts talking to me. He's like, what was it like filming it? And he's setting up the camera, right? I'm in New York and they're in L.A. And, and so I tell him, if, I said, oh, funny story. You know, it was hilarious. I said, Martin Short's voice as Frank, which is hilarious, the character that he does. Yeah. He began with that voice. That was the voice he had from the beginning. And at the table read of Father of the Bride 1, Steve turns to him when he starts to talk and says, wait. You can't do that. No one can understand what you're saying. <laughs> and Martin Short goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it. I just, I just, I just, you know, I'm trying something. I'm just, you know, working it out. And Steve looked at him and it's like, okay. And it's the exact same voice that he used in the movie. Yeah. And I was telling that like it was a little spinning, a little yarn or whatever. And he goes, okay, well, it was really nice to see you, April. And I said, huh? <laughs> he goes, he goes, 
yeah, that's all I need. I said, no, no, you can't send that to them. You, that's going to no. sound like I'm telling uh. a story on someone. I said, no, you can't send it. He goes, well, they don't really have a script, so they just wanted to get you on film. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, But obviously it was fine, and I got the part. That's just – and <laughs> what, what year was the sequel? The sequel 94, was – 94, I want to say. 94. So you can – so yeah. you – then you moved back here. Well, I was already back here. Oh, I was, when I had you already, back? I came out here in 85 – they cast me in Cats. I auditioned at the Winter Garden. Yeah. I had auditioned in L.A., and they had me on file. So they called me back at the, uh, and went to audition at the Winter Garden, and I thought it was a big audition, so I was fully in dance clothes. No one there but me but you. Oh, on stage yeah. at the Winter Garden all alone. Made me sing seven songs. I was like, hey. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so, so I rocked out. So, so um, I had moved back in 93. Mm-hmm. And in 94, they called and said, you know, would you audition and would you come back to Los Angeles to do the show? And I was like, uh, hello, yes, I would. Yeah. Of course yeah. I would. So $110 million yes, or something like yes. that. Yes. They don't make studio scary. comedies a whole lot anymore. Nowadays, yeah. all the comedies are – unless it's, the Unless Jennifer Aniston or – Reese Witherspoon or no, but even that's even that's you yeah, know now, now they're doing it as much on like series television, or, Amazon you know, or Netflix. Yeah, it's so it, it's it's just such a fascinating culture. It's like I was I was yeah, a friend right. friend of mine is shopping, uh, big comedy around, and I was saying you know comedies aren't really made on a big studio budget anymore yeah. because people feel I think people feel like oh well I can catch that on Netflix or I yeah. can catch that on TV, but they don't want to see. The Terminator film. They don't want to see something that's a huge film where you're getting, you know, smashed in the face with explosions no, and guns and stuff. They want to see that on a big screen. On a big screen yeah. with a vibrating seat and 45 3D glasses. They have that. And that. Oh, <laughs> no, oh, no they have, like, I experience. don't want <laughs> No, I don't either. Like, I'm... When, when everything became 3D, I'm like, oh, my God, what a headache. It's just too, it's just too much stimulation. Yeah. But, so... I do want to ask you about one other thing, and then I want to do a little lightning round. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you ended up coming back to New York and doing a lot of musical theater and comedy. Mm-hmm. You were in the original production of In the Heights? I came in to be a vacation swing. Yeah. For the older ladies in... Yes. Uh, well, actually, only for Olga. Only only for yeah. Uh, Abuela. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago. I don't know how they possibly oh. could have thought I could play someone's grandmother. Oh. But no. I, so. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't believe that today. So now, I can, 10 no, years I, can, later. I did. I did end up playing it. And I stayed in the show for two months because they asked me to do it because I had already been cast in the first national tour. Yeah. So, yes. So that. In that a different was, role, correct? In a, not, well, you were not, not old no, I was. Uh, I, no, I was a. So I'm a little too tall to be Abuela. I'm because yeah. I usually dwarf the Usnavis. For me to be taller than Usnavi is Abuela is kind of yeah. weird. So I usually kind of crouch down a yeah. little bit when I play Abuela. But no, I ended up playing. I understudied Daniela and Abuela and Camila and Woman Four, and I played Woman Five, and that was in the first leg of the tour. And then when our Daniela left. I took over for Daniela. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So my question is, do you see having come up doing so many sitcoms and multicams and a million things sort of an odd? Because I've always found that there's a saying uh, that uh, Americans invented jazz, apple pie, and musical theater. 
But I also think that there's sort of a similar thing in multi-camera comedy to what you see in some stage comedy, particularly in musicals. And I think In the Heights definitely is written in the vernacular of a traditional musical comedy. Yeah. And do you see that similarity in how you play it? Oh, I agree. The more I see people, I I do a lot of readings, you know, because we all do a lot of readings. And the more I see musicals and and talk to people about them and do readings, the more I see how really, really brilliantly Kiara put that show together. Kiara and Lynn put that show together. It just, it's really well done. It is what a musical should be. The music, take In the Heights, the first number, it introduces you to the where you're going to be, yeah. what the language is going to be, yeah. who lives there, and every single person. You get introduced to Daniela and Carla. You get introduced to the parents. You find out about their daughter, which is a major storyline. And you, you get to talk to Abuela, and Usnavi tells you about he and Sonny and what happened and what their story and is. It's... And now we know everybody. Now we can sit back, and we can go, oh, okay. Now I can just watch the story because and it's such I know everything. It's such a similar structure to multi-camera comedy. Well, in that, well, in yeah, that actually, it's a bit more it stretched. kind of and is, and that's what I'm always seeing. Th- yeah, that's one of the things that I've always. I'm like, to me, it's no accident that like a Burroughs is his son is who is like one of the fathers of musical comedy, having been on Guys and Dolls and all those things. His son is Jimmy Burroughs, mm-hmm. who is one of the fathers of you know right. modern modern Truly. sitcom. So I think. Yeah. Lynn definitely carried that on, and Kiara with In the Heights and those sort of things. Yeah. So I was just curious what it was like for you to play. It was very, it was, that. You're, that is very true. I never thought of that. I never put that together. But the way the scenes are put together, they're put together very much like Set Up, Set Up, Punch. And they're, I mean, playing Daniela, the scenes when you come out and, and make the salon, and that it's very, that's a very sitcom structure. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's my favorite form of, I know this probably sounds like, you know, I auditioned one time for Trevor Nunn, and he asked me what my favorite thing was on my resume, what my favorite thing to do was. And I said Sally Bowles and Cabaret instead of, I was quite young, a lot younger. And instead <laughs> of, uh, I had played Lady Anne in Richard III. Yeah. And he said, really? Sally Bowles, when you've played Lady Anne. And I felt so, I was like, oh, should I have read the room? Oh, no. But yeah. truly. you got to speak to your heart. Yeah. Right. So I feel like I'm, in a, I'm at that kind of a moment when I say, I love sitcom. I love the structure of it. I understand it like nothing else. I watched it when I, I was know. growing yep. up. I watched Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. And Mary Tyler Moore is one of the most brilliant sitcoms ever. I wrote a sitcom that was in play in Hollywood for a while along the structure, not along the structural lines of Mary Tyler Moore in that there were the exact same amount of people at the home base as there were. And she was upset. The main character, who was me, was obsessed with Mary Tyler Moore. But we find that out later. But also at work, she had the same structure of people. Not the same characters by any means at all, but the same structure. Because there's a structure in sitcom. You know, can you name a successful sitcom that doesn't have an invisible character? Cheers, Vera, Norm's wife. Friends. Ugly naked man. Yeah, Fraser is Maris. You never see. And Maris. all the co- and all the callers who are so on Fraser who are so vivid, vividly defined are everyone who's calling 
Oh, the callers are, yeah. And the yeah. callers end up being, you find out, you found out when they finished the show, they did a yeah. long, a long line of all the celebrities who had been their callers. Frasier's very Shakespearean. And yeah. watching Frasier, I realized a lot of these situations are very Shakespearean. Their writers are, yeah, were just brilliant. Did you ever get to work with anyone from Mary Tyler Moore? If that's your favorite, if that, that's, that is your favorite sitcom. It correct? is absolutely my favorite yeah. Did sitcom. you ever get to work with anyone from... I never did get to work with anyone Just, from that sitcom, but I did get to work with someone from one of my favorite movies. Which was? Young Frankenstein is is a <laughs> one of my favorite comedies. Terry Gar? No. no. Keep going, because I always forget. Madeline Kahn? No. The grandfather. Yeah. Oh. Um, or, or Raymond's father. Peter. Oh, Peter, Peter Boyle. Boyle. Oh, of course. Boyle. Oh, my goodness. Just I knew you were on Raymond. Yeah. And... She is just, oh, she, Doris Roberts is just like, fantastic. She's just hilarious. It's, me. that's the thing is I feel like sitcoms respect our older actors much more than almost any other art form. Yeah, actually. And because I, I be, and maybe that's just inherent with the schedule being, being a bit more relaxed than most show business schedules are. In yeah, terms it's, of the, nine, it's basically nine to five except for tape day. Yeah. Which is Awesome. It's an yeah. awesome schedule for an actor. We just never get a schedule. Yeah. Like well, even now on, on single cameras, you know, my first big TV job was on a show called Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which yeah. is a single camera, but it's not, but it's multi-camera in tone. They rarely had, you know, anything under 10 hours ever. Rarely. Right. Yeah. And, you know. Camera, same. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's just a different culture. I mean, I've, but and it's one that I think is so stored because there's none really in New York now. I feel badly that I feel like sitcom is something that we need. Oh, I agree. I think we need it. Our hearts need just that silliness and that well-crafted comedy that may make you think, or maybe not. Maybe you're just sitting there and you just get to laugh. I did a show called Sunsets and Margaritas at the Denver Center. And it was right when we'd had about, it was 2009, so we'd had about coming up on 10 years, but not really, more like eight years of episodic television being almost completely erased by these Big Brother and reality television shows and the Kardashians and all these things. But the Kardashians are on a different network, I think. But the major three that I grew up with being the only three, right? Yeah. Two, four, and seven in Los Angeles, um, ABC, NBC, and CBS. The same way, same way in Connecticut, right? too. And yep. those shows are almost gone except for something like The Big Bang Theory or, or, or shows that are really, really successful that they really, really have depend on. But I'll plug they, a great one right now that just started. Um, Bob Hart's Abishola, which is about a businessman uh -huh. who has a heart attack and falls in love and begins a relationship with his Nigerian nurse. And it's so heartwarming and so touching. Oh, wow. And it manages to skirt 90% of the racist jokes that, you know, one would right. expect. Right. But, and it's... It shoots in Los Angeles, but it's so touching and so sweet. Oh, that's awesome! And it's so I just I'll just alert oh, another okay. fan. Oh, okay. I'm gonna I, I I will take a look at it. Okay, so now I want to do a little lightning round. Okay. Are you a Lucy and Ethel or Mary or Rhoda or what's your? If you had to identify with one, 
particular? To identify with one? I think my friends would say Lucy, but I would say Mary. Yeah? Yeah. Rock on. Okay. So this is my get ready for like a creative canvas moment. Okay. So if any showrunner you chose or any network you chose came to you tomorrow and said, you know what? Say someone saw your rerun of the Golden Girls yeah. last night. So Bill Rosenthal, by the way, that is a showrunner. That yes. is an amazing showrunner. And I would take him, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so say Phil Rosenthal came to you tomorrow mm-hmm. and said, April, we want to build a sitcom around you. And you get, as one would when they are executive producer as, as well as starring in it, you get creative control, so... Yeah, they hate who, <laughs> They oh, hate no, giving I, the actor creative control. Oh, I know. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. I, well, that's cattle. Yeah. But, right. uh, but say that happened. What would it look like for you? What would your multi-camera sitcom look like if it was centered around you? And who would you play and who would be in well, it with you? That sort of thing. You know, that's funny because I've been thinking... I've been, I've been working on a different kind of show, a different kind of format. Yeah. And I, but I wrote a sitcom called The Greenhouse Gourmet before all of the cooking shows were on yeah i wrote a show about a person who's who's a cooking show person but she has a crappy little show in new york that's cable yeah and or public access even worse public access and Uh. she and the network gets wind of her and they bring her across the country to become the new latin martha stewart martha stewart was on but emerald was just just coming up right so the other cooks weren't the other chefs weren't on cook, chef, whatever. <laughs> the other chefs weren't there. And I think how it would look, I wrote that in 2000, and in 2000 it looked it looked different because yeah. it, it was a whole different thing. You can't, there's certain things you can't get away with now, which I find sad. I find that the, the sort of people who talk like this and everything's like, nothing's really funny, but everything's supposed to be funny. Yeah. I don't get it. And it's hard for me to get it. Yeah, I, don't... <laughs> well, I mean, I can I can appreciate it, and I, and I do enjoy. I actually I enjoy it. But the thing that I do think now is that I think now comedy is about is often about how many layers of irony can we put on something, which has its place. But I do miss just you know, funny, just slipping on a banana peel. Right. I'm t- I'm you know, tired of that. Bitterman Table for One. To be honest, yeah. I don't I don't. I don't want to be the Bittermans. I don't want to be the. I don't. I don't want to be ironic always. Yeah. I mean, yes, it can be funny, but I want to see that. I would love to see that format come back. I don't know that it, that it ever will, because what's happened in the world yeah. is that the networks, they don't trust anything so new. They're afraid yeah. of anything new, so they try and rehash. Like, you know, if a movie is a success, then they try and rehash it. Yeah. Or if a television show is a success, then they try and make... What's the thing that just is just ending? There's there's a television show that just ended... Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not what I was thinking about. I was thinking about the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah. Okay? And now they're they're trying to make something that will be like that. Only Harry Potter is going to be like Harry Potter. Yeah. Go and think of something else. There are people who are being born every minute that have different ideas and different fabulous yeah. things to to offer. And you, you know, Lin Manuel is a great a uh, great example. Yeah. You know, they were sort of like, well, okay, but it's a show about Puerto Ricans and there's rap in it. You know, then and there there were some people who were hesitant to go see that show. Yeah. 
But then he kept going and he stepped it up, so to speak. And now everybody wants to see in the Heights because of Lynn. But the only reason that maybe they didn't have the huge audience or run as long as they should have, in my opinion, because it, it ran for... No, it ran for a little bit, but it didn't yeah. have the longest Broadway run, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's because if he hadn't done something so brilliant like Hamilton yeah. to come after that, then it wouldn't have been the same. But he built this great platform of, look, I'm going to do this with immigrants or I'm going to yeah. do this with, with Latinos and black people and everybody, African-American, however you want to put it out there. I'm going to do this with people of color. And that has made a huge difference for us, yeah. for people of color, because there's work out there. And I have such a love ode for to Lynn Manuel Miranda, because one of the things that I think I think that there's a pervasive thing in our culture of people not knowing, wanting to know anything about, especially entertainment, but anything in general about before they were born. And they think, oh, if, it, if I wasn't here, doesn't matter. And it, that is a new thing. And <laughs> and so people will obsess over In the Heights and Hamilton. But I'm like, guys, I promise you, because I can tell when I see a Hamilton or In the Heights, I promise you, Lin Manuel Miranda knows the catalog of sitcoms and film and theater and musical theater backwards, forwards, and upside down because he wrote, he writes in that vernacular beautifully. Right. right. And so I just think that we're, I just think the world. he gives it a new little swing. Yeah. Gives, you know, he gives it a, a whole new way of looking at something. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, I think it's more difficult now. Yeah. Because when somebody was brilliant and, and the people who ran things back then when I was doing sitcoms, were creative people. They were yeah. producers weren't weren't bean counters. They were creative people. Yeah, you know. And so, like Down and Out, for instance, there was a, f I think Michael Eisner, who was running Disney at the time, and Barry Diller, who was running Fox, had been partners at Disney before. Yeah. And Barry Diller kind of did everything he could to make sure that this didn't that the show from Disney didn't wasn't a success. Yeah. They would never let us do anything even remotely raunchy. Yeah. Where Married with Children was on the show. Hello. Yeah. That was a very, very raunchy show. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, it was very funny and very raunchy. Yeah. It, it wasn't... We have okay. to finish your greenhouse gases thing though before oh, I green, forget. Oh, green, green, I want. I need greenhouse, greenhouse gourmet. Greenhouse, gourmet. <laughs> yes. greenhouse gases. Oh, I'm thinking climate change. You see? Yeah. Oh, uh, see. Yes. I'm so yes. living in the world. Douglas. Okay. Yes. Greenhouse gourmet. I want to yes. hear more about green greenhouse. Well, gourmet. she. There was a group of producers in Los Angeles that brought me. Uh, I read it to a friend of mine who was a director, and he said. Stay right there. I'm calling a producer. Yeah. And he called her and they and came over to the house and said, you just read it. So I read it with all the voices, whatever. Yeah. And they wanted to take me to get it done somewhere. They wanted they wanted to develop the show. So the deal fell apart because I didn't understand about Hollywood and the wolves and you can't really bring a a pop gun to a, a jungle <laughs> because, man, it's rough out there. But they took me to HBO, and in the lobby, we went to the Starbucks in the lobby, and she said, y you're going to pitch the show. And I said, what? 
We were in the, we, the, the appointment was in 15 minutes. I said, I can't pitch a show. I said, they're going to attach themselves to something. I said, I've never pitched anything. And, and they're going to attach themselves to something that, that they've seen or that they don't, they're not going to understand that I understand sitcom and that I know where I referenced something and where I didn't. They're going to say, oh, no, we did a Mexican sitcom with Paul Rodriguez and it didn't work. You know, they're going to I thought that's what they're going to do. But since I didn't have a choice, she go. I said, what am I going to do? You could. She said, just um, I don't know, just be yourself. And she was very smart to not tell me until then, because I would have spazzed out to the nth degree. And instead, I walked in. I'm in this big conference room with these guys from HBO. And basically, I did 45 minutes of stand-up. And I'm not a stand-up, but I did 45 minutes of stand-up. And they got up from the meeting, shook my hand, and said, we're on board. We want to take you to NBC. Rock on. And that's when the deal fell apart, because I wanted to be executive producer. And they were going to try. And the producers were like, well, what if you weren't the lead? I said, oh, no. I wrote this because I'm not playing any more housekeepers. That's why I wrote this show. And I'm not giving this part to Jennifer Lopez or whoever you have in mind. Not going to happen. The people are our age. You know, I had the characters very specifically. I had a Rhoda. I had, I, had yeah, I mean, it wasn't a Rhoda, yeah. but it was, you know, it was a person who was similar. You were, it you was know? the structure. It was the structure. Right, it was the structure of the show. Um, and it wasn't that I was insisting that they cast people that I had in mind for it, although they would have been wise to do that. I was adamant about... I'm going to be in the show, and yes, I am executive producing because yeah. there is no way I'm letting somebody take this out of my hands. Yeah, I wrote, I had written seven treatments of di- of the different, and it there was some drama in it. There was some. I took a little piece of a friend's life, and I just and my dad in the show, who had passed away, had a stand on Alvera Street, which is I don't know if you know where that is in Los Angeles. Alvera Street is this. I only know Burbank, Mexican strip of like little shops and and carts and things, and it's a great place, and I grew up going there all the time. And my brother was a gang member in the show. Yeah. And so there was a dramatic, and there was a little bit of musical. You know the the show that has the music in it, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yes. It had not as much, but there was a little bit of that. Yeah. To go When she goes back down to Alvera Street to visit, because she's sort of, homogenized herself a little bit through the years and she goes down and is back in it there's sort of a a very carlos santana kind of feel you know to the music when she goes down and there's not singing but there was definitely music in it that added to the it added to the flavor of it and everything yeah have you thought about revisiting it i have thought about revisiting it i lost just to let you know about the technology. Okay. It was on floppy disk. <laughs> what? It was on floppy disk. And uh, you can't put sec- a floppy disk in anything. Second grade homework, yes. And when I got back from tour, yeah, I went to start working on it again. I didn't know any better than to not open an email, even though it was from somebody I knew, that just had a link in it. And it destroyed my computer and everything in it. And, it, and the only uh, thing that they could recover internet. was that. But oh. I... I think I could do it again, and I and what I would do, actually what I really want to do, and don't anybody do this even though I'm saying it. No, okay. but we'll trademark the episode is, and I won't is, steal it. I want to write a modern-day Golden Girls. Rock on. I don't think it would play as a sitcom. Yeah. I think it would play as an episodic, 
a one-hour episodic, but because now one-hour episodic is actually only half an hour with the commercials, if it's, you ask it's, yourself, it's practically... You it's know, incredible. Yeah. It's, if you've seen my episode of Golden Girls, then... Yeah, it's like you, 24... It's 20... Because I watch it all on Hulu. Golden Girls episodes are 24 minutes long. 25 oh, minutes really? long. Oh, yeah. I thought... Because mostly when I was doing sitcoms, they were 22 minutes long. Now... They're fifteen. It could be that Hulu includes the cut the material that might yeah, have been cut and they, from yeah, they cut that. They cut that. They didn't cut it from broadcast. They didn't cut my scene from broadcast. But no. now, if you see it on what's the station that would play it? Hallmark. I Whatever. I don't know that really. You know, oh I my don't god! Watch, Did I don't, you yes. see it on the Hallmark? Yes. Aren't you looking forward to all those Christmas specials? Oh my! Twenty four hours a day. Oh my god! Twenty four hours till Christmas. A Christmas song for Jared. They're fun. At least. <laughs> they're fun. They oh, are they're fun. fun. They're so pure. So I did. Cool. I did one of them, but uh, oh, did you? I did. Yeah, awesome. 2017. It was a. It was a. That's like a movie of the week. Like, it's perfect. No, it is. No, well, no. Well, that's the thing is, I love all those those old school experiences. The only time I've ever flipped out meeting anybody was uh, when I met Tippy Hedren. That was the coolest thing. Oh, I know Tippy. I my freak Wait, out. What? My freak out was well because I used to go to Shambhala with some friends. Okay, she has I hear that you. preserve. Yeah, that animal preserve. Mine was Lily Tomlin, and I couldn't speak. I do impersonations of all her characters. I always, I have since I was a kid. And she is my idol. And I just froze. I went to see Intelligent Signs of Life in the Universe. And I, the stage manager, had been my stage manager on Lacage and said, come on backstage and meet Lily. And I went backstage and I was like, uh, uh, I couldn't even speak. I was completely just okay. frozen. <laughs> Because I think she's so magnificent. She is magnificent. We're going on so many tangents. I, I know. love it. Sorry. No. Oh, what are you apologizing <laughs> I'm for? I'm a tangent girl. <laughs> please. Oh, 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 please. Have you met me? But uh, no, I want to finish your Golden Girls idea. Yes. What's your Golden Girls one hour episodic Well, idea? they're Golden Girls in that that's their age. And there is a similar amount of people in it. Yeah. And there will be a mother. But there's espionage. There's all kinds of things that happen that you would never think that these ladies would get themselves involved with. And it happens because one of them gets kidnapped in the first episode. One of them gets kidnapped. But they end up having to step up. I mean, they're living the kind of lives that people who are my age live now if they're not in show business. Yeah. is not all that fun. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons I believe that a show like this is relevant is because the people who actually watch television and hear me advertisers, the people who watch television and don't speed through the commercials are older people, people who are not in the demographic you think you have to reach, and they buy things for their kids and their grandkids, and they have the purse strings and usually the disposable income. Yeah. to ignore them as a demographic is a huge mistake. To only advertise adult diapers and have Alex Trebek tell me about some insurance plan? No, no. Honey, please let me tell you how much we spend on our faces so that they won't look like we are the age we are. Yeah. We spend a lot of money. And... We're being ignored as a demographic, and I think that if there was a show that had some excitement to it, that had some get off your couch and do something about it in it, yeah, because they handle social issues. They they end up 
sneaking around the normal way to get things done, which doesn't get anything done in the bureaucracy of it, and nobody suspects them because they're just, well, you know, invisible. I love it so (laughs) much. And so I think there's something to be said for it. And there's young people in the show, too, because they have kids or yeah. they, and they deal with, yeah. And, of course, one of them will be a Blanche, so she'll date the younger ones. Yeah, <laughs> hey. It wasn't a thing with a Blanche, but now it's such a thing. That... A one-hour comedy espionage yes. series. I like love it. Like a sort it. of a dark comedy. Dark because there's some social issues that they deal with, whether it's insurance or Medicare or, or what kind of... yeah. You know, how much drugs cost and why and whether who they get tested on and things like that. It sounds like a perfect streaming or network. Yeah, it series. sounds like, Either yeah. One. To me, it would be because there, you can't really do it that's not a little down and dirty. Although I've yeah. noticed that on network TV, well, they, they gotta say compete. stuff. Yeah. Honey, they said some things on Blacklist, which I am completely obsessed with, by the way. Yeah. I, I watched it because I had an audition for it. And then I started watching from the beginning. That show is so good. Yeah. I love that show. But they say things on that show, and that's network television that you ain't allowed to Doesn't have television. Well, <laughs> or you didn't used yeah. to. Yeah. No, it, 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 that, that has been really interesting, the evolution of watching how, yeah. how network has had to all of a sudden compete with in terms of keeping it a little realer to compete with the streaming services that can, you know... Now people yeah. have net, all these streaming services on their TV. Right. So do you have a title for your espionage series? I don't. I think the title is going to reveal itself. Okay. I well, don't. I want to encourage you to continue this, and we'll talk a little bit. Oh, we do have, we're going to close with one question. Okay. And we already know that you've been fired once, very early <gasps> in your career. Have you, were you ever fired again? Only once. (laughs) Can you tell me about it? You don't have to, but can you tell me about it? Well, it would be terrible for me to call anybody out. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can just do the voice if that works. I will tell you. Okay. Oh, I'm not going to mention the person. (laughs) Let's see if you know it. Okay. Um, Okay. So I was on a television show that was sort of a, it wasn't a sitcom structure. It was more of a sketch comedy show. And it was you in probably the 80s. might have you might know it if you're of a, if you're of, of a, a certain, certain age. of a certain age, and um, the sketch was three or four housekeepers talking about one of the housekeepers. We were in there the house of the star housekeeper. So many housekeepers, and she was reading us her employer's diary. And laughing, and we were kidding, and we were drinking their champagne, and you know, and eating their caviar, and sitting around and having a good time while they weren't home. Yeah. And um, when we first got to the table read, we did it, and everybody laughed, and it was funny. And I did a character that I do quite frequently when I play a Carmen or a Maria or whatever they've named me in in a series where I'm wearing a uniform, and somebody walked in who I later met and I know well now. But he, I never have told him the story. He walked by. Oh, he was here, on the yeah. show. And he said, hey, you should do her accent. Her accent's funnier than yours. And my eyes got as big as dinner plates. I said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Her accent is fine. Her accent is just fine. And this person said, huh, well, 
I meant to talk to the to the writers about this. Really, I, I mean, I really, really think that we should put a, a a dance number in this. You don't dance, do you, dear? And I said, Yeah, I'm a professional dancer. She said, Oh well, maybe what we'll do is like a song. You don't sing, do you? I said, No, no, I, I'm a singer. I was just in Cats because it was. You know, was close to Triple when I was. Triple threat, baby. Right. And she said, well, it's just not right, not right. No, we'll have to figure it out. So then off we go and we're rehearsing, whatever, but we don't get to rehearse our scene because they're rehearsing another scene and having some trouble with it before lunch. And she goes, I'm going to talk to the writers. And she offs to talk to the writers and came back down after lunch and we were all dismissed. So we go and it was a short week. So I was like, whoa, wow, okay. So we leave. I come back the next day, and all the pages, the entire script is blue. Now, in sitcom, that means they just didn't even bother to put in new pages. Blue is the second mm -hmm. revision. So you grab the pages, and you're looking through it. My part, which was huge, is down to, like, five lines. And at that, no, maybe even three. And I don't do under five. At that time in Hollywood, it was death to actors to do under five. Yeah. They weren't an under five actor. So I now... God forbid, if you're not Meryl Streep, you're not getting. Yeah, the any. pay squeezes. Yeah, yeah so it's, and sometimes you know. they'll pay you top of the show for three lines. So I see that there's three lines. I'm a little perturbed, but I think you know what? It's not the April Ortiz show. Relax, do your job, get out. You know, didn't think anything of it. Didn't get in my head about oh she's jealous. Whatever, I don't care. So we do it. We and and because it's a short week, we go and do the run through for James Burroughs. Yes, and everybody, and. Uh, Right before we do the run-through, Ted Bessel, Donald Hollinger from That Girl, who is the director of this show. Oh, now I've given everything away, haven't I? Uh. <laughs> and so, so mm. Ted Bessel starts like, he, oh, he says, why are you doing the character that way to me? And I said, well, that's what I kind of got hired for. That's the, that's the character I was. Well, no, she should be meek and, and small and afraid of everything. And he's the director. So I said, okay, well, yeah, okay. I'll try that. So I did that. It seemed really ridiculous to me, but he said, do it. Just do it. And I said, okay. So I, I did it. So we start doing, oh, and right, wait, I forgot to mention this. Right before the oh run through, we're sitting at the dinner table of this set, and, and the guy walks by again, this series regular walks by again and says, really, really, you have got to do her accent. It's so much better than yours. Oh. <sighs> And this is a person who is known for doing all these different accents. Yeah. And I am, but I'm not known at that time, so yes. it doesn't matter. And I'm Mexican, so I can yeah. talk like this. If I want to talk like this, I can talk like this. This person was doing a sort of a Speedy Gonzalez caricature. She was talking like this, like a Jose Jimenez, which yeah. is, you probably don't know because you're way too young to know who. Jose Jimenez was a character that Bill Dana did. It was very racist. Yeah. Yeah. He it was very racist. He would do it on Carson all the time. Yeah. Very racist. But, you know, we all thought it was funny then because we didn't know what racist was, really, because you just said crap about Mexicans all yeah. the time then. So I said, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. She So... She said, well, I don't want my accent to be stereotypical. And I need to talk to the writers about one other thing. I mean, my character says the word glaringly, and that's three syllables. What kind of Mexican would know a word like glaringly? I mean, honestly, a Mexican knowing a three-syllable word. A she said Mexican that third time, and I lost my 
shit. Excuse me. You may have wow. to leave that out. No. <laughs> but please, I please. lost it and I, I didn't say anything or yell or anything like that. I just, my hand involuntarily went on her arm and I said, I'm Mexican and I know a lot of big words. And I got up from the table and I walked away. And I, as I walked away, I was like, you're fired. <laughs> I yeah. knew I was fired. Yeah. So I, but I, we had to do the run through. It was like five minutes later. So we get up to do the run through. We start, and I, I've never had this happen in a run through. James Burroughs stopped everything. He was like, what are you doing to me? And I said, I looked at Ted Bessel and he looked down at his fingernails and his shoes and I said, and I thought, oh, you have so been thrown under the bus. And, and I said, I'm sorry? He said, I said, what do you mean? He said, where's the girl I hired? Why are you acting so meek? Why are you acting like a little, you're afraid of everything? And I looked at Ted Bessel again, and he looked away. And I said, what would you like me to do, sir? And he said, I'd like to see the girl I hired. I said, all right, can we start again? And we started again, and I, and I did me, the character I would have thought to do. And then at the end of it, Ted Bessel came up and started yelling at me. He said I was indicating. And, you know, they were just yeah. working their magic to get me fired. And I knew I was fired. I got my pager. It was the days of the pager. My yeah. pager rang, was ringing off the hook or whatever. And I went to the payphone in the, in the soundstage, outside the soundstage, and I called my agent, and I said, so I'm fired? And he goes, what the hell happened? And I said, well, what did they tell you happened? And he said, they said it was a personality conflict. And I said, well, I bet there's a lot of those. But yes, I would say that. Uh, I'll tell you later. Got to go. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I had given my understudy that day on because I was in a play. Yeah. And I had given my understudy the day, but and I couldn't. She was young, and she had studied so hard, I couldn't. I just went to the movies that night. Like, I just, I couldn't be like. You oh. could show up, be like, give me your shoes. Yes, right. Yeah, That's right. yeah. Get off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I le- we're we're still friends. She was a, a dance student of mine when I when I uh, taught dance after I learned. So we won't name. Yeah. We the, won't name names. The name but you the, know anything. We won't know name the na- the main perpetrator. <laughs> the, the unnamed person in this story will we'll right. remain it unnamed. Was the 80s, everybody was racist and everybody was whatever. Well, I mean, I wasn't, but I'm Mexican, so. <laughs> and on that note, we conclude <laughs> episode two of Who Doesn't Love Lucy with Doug Cloud. Thank you so much, April Ortiz, for being here. What I, a pleasure to talk over all those all those old things it's that are been, fabulous that I've I've, I've admi- ever since Izzy told, told me about you, I've admired your oeuvre for, <laughs> so I've been so excited to know learn more about you today cool. well thank you it was a pleasure to be here thank you so much all right okay <laughs> bye. bye who doesn't love lucy